When you picture Jesus, I wonder what comes into your mind. There was a famous hymn written in 1742 called Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild. And since the writing of that famous hymn by Charles Wesley, many have pictured Jesus in this way. And I think today's church owes an amazing debt of gratitude uh, to both the brothers Charles and John Wesley for their, not only their amazing music, but their passion for church reform. But I think that this particular image has created a significant hurdle in the modern and postmodern world in terms of our understanding who Jesus is and who Jesus calls us to be. I don't know about you, but when I read through the Bible and the person of Jesus Christ that I have come to know and am still coming to know through my ongoing relationship with him is not meek and not mild. And so I've deliberately titled my sermon today, which is the second in our series in the lead up to Christmas, bringing generosity to light, as generous Jesus, neither meek nor mild. Today, uh, we are celebrating the feast of the festival of Christ the King, which encourages us to see Jesus not as meek and mild, but as a king, Um, and specifically our king. I do realise that for us living in 2018, that's somewhat problematic because of our worldly, historic and cultural understanding of what a king is. The person um, who will be likely our next king just turned 70 years old. Um, And in my lifetime, the general public has seemed to have had a love-hate relationship with Prince Charles. But these days, you could probably argue that uh, the image that Charles has is gentle Charles, meek and mild. Even though the monarchy in recent years has experienced a resurgence in popularity, I wonder if this is really how we want to think of, compare, or even envision Jesus as our king. In today's gospel, Pilate asks Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus says, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. To which Pilate responds, what is truth. What is truth has everything to do with Jesus as king. Jesus is the truth. Earlier in John's gospel in chapter 14, Jesus has named himself as God who is the way, is the truth and the life. His kingdom is not about working out what the truth is, but it is already the truth. 
His kingdom is not content, but character. His kingdom is not ruled by a worldly type king, but by commitment. His kingdom is not a thing, but the very person of Jesus Christ. If we start to picture Jesus like this, then we have to be prepared to take one more step. And that is to ask ourselves, will we allow the truth to reveal the truth about ourselves? In other words, will we let Jesus call us on the gaps between our truth and the truth? The gaps between what we are not and what Jesus is and is calling us to be. To be honest, that's hard. It's really confronting and it can be even humiliating. But if we are going to call Jesus king, then we have to hold him in a position where he can hold us accountable. And we must give Jesus authority. But the way that Jesus exercises authority is the most gracious and generous form of authority that I have ever come across. The way that Jesus exercises authority is that he brings his truth to life in us. He is the author of truth, and that is his kingly authority. While the world's kings and kingdoms exercise authority based on wealth and grandeur, privilege and power, influence and fear, Jesus exercises authority based on generosity, on grace. Jesus says of himself, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He is our servant king. So the big question for us to ask today is if Jesus is our king and if our king is a servant, how then do we serve a servant king? To unpack this a little, I think it's really helpful to ask ourselves who and what do we rely on? Really? And then this is part of the process of allowing Jesus to call us to account on the gaps between our truth and the truth. It was interesting, um, some results of a survey came out this week by Roy Morgan, um, which re released the most trusted brands in Australia. If you didn't catch uh, the report, you might be surprised by some of the results. The most trusted brand in Australia at the moment is Aldi. Um, the second most trusted is Bunnings. I believe this may have been taken before the issue with the onions on top or the bottom of the sausages. Uh, the third most trusted brand is Qantas. Uh, the fourth is uh, the ABC. And fifth, making a bolt into the top ten for the first time ever, is Kmart. Kmart. 
Uh, if you're interested in what the bottom 10 are, it's mostly banks, telcos, energy companies, and Facebook. Um, these are the organisations that apparently that we trust and rely on. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story about our recent experience with the third most trusted organisation in Australia. I mentioned uh, this morning that uh, I'm very happy to be here and Leanne and I both feel incredibly blessed uh, to be with you this morning. And it has nothing to do with Qantas. Um, it's a very, very long story, but I'll give you the highlights of our last few days. Uh, we landed in Sydney two hours delayed on Thursday, um, uh, hoping to return Friday evening. Um, our flight was cancelled 10 minutes after. It was about to take off on Friday, um, and we managed to find one of the last hotel rooms in Sydney, um, above a very, very noisy pub in Bondi. <laughs> um, uh, and we arrived uh, at the promise uh, of the previous night that our flight would depart at 9.30am um, from Sydney Airport to uh, the Gold Coast. Just as we were about to walk through security, uh, the, fl the flight status changed with a big yellow sign that said cancelled. Uh, so we scrambled around um, and uh, a person tried to get us on a, a, a flight um, first uh, to the Gold Coast, nothing. Uh, first uh, to Brisbane, nothing. Then even tried to get us to Perth and then back to the Gold Coast, nothing. We found out that there were no seats available on any carrier going into South East Queensland anywhere um, uh, from Sydney uh, yesterday. Uh, I think there's over 100 flights cancelled in the process uh, of what's been going on with the dust storms and the storms around Australia at the moment. And so while Leanne was directed to the sales queue, I went out to uh, all the car hire place, place venues. And while she was told to um, get online and sort it out herself, um, I was told that there are no hire cars available in all of Sydney for any hire car company. So we were a little worried. Um, Leanne did have the idea of giving one of her work colleagues a call to see whether one of the pool cars uh, was available for us uh, to borrow so that we could actually drive home uh, yesterday. And very generously, her, her colleague um, did some scrambling around and, and as we're trying to, to Google flights and possible ways of getting home, he sent a, sent a message back, um, I'm on it, we've got it sorted, I'm on my way. So we thought, great, he's going to come and pick us up and take us probably about an hour and a half to Western Sydney uh, to pick up one of these pool cars um, and then at least we'll be able to get home. But when um, he did arrive, uh, he didn't have a pool car. Uh, he had his own personal car, which was a brand new car with 3,000 kilometres on the clock and had said uh, very gently to Leanne, if I had told you I was bringing my car, you would not have accepted it. And so I didn't tell you, and you have no choice but to accept it, because I want you to be comfortable on the way home. I didn't trust the pool cars would get you there safely. And he very, very generously filled up the tank with fuel. 
and uh, gave us a detailed explanation of all the buttons in the car um, and sent us on our merry way while he took a taxi home to Western Sydney. Uh, we, we took the long journey home. Um, it is the first sermon that I've ever written in a car, hopefully the last. Uh, but uh, as we were sitting on the lounge uh, at 9.17pm uh, last night, both of us received a text message from Qantas, which reads, We've had to cancel your flight, QF862, on November 24 at 0930 that's 9.30am, we got this at 9.17pm um, from Sydney, to get assistance, download our app or call us. We couldn't rely on what is one of the most trusted brands in Australia. What we had to rely on was this form of extreme generosity. And it was overwhelming. I really and brought us both to tears. It was sacrificial. It was over the top. It was unnecessary. It was undeserved. It was selfless. And it was actually costly. We can place our trust in temporal things and temporal organisations, but even the best of them will at some point let us down. And when that happens, what do we do? We jump onto social media and post something scathing and swear that we'll never use them again. Because in reality, even though there's dust storms, electrical storms, airline logistics, they really should be focused on our well-being, shouldn't they? Isn't it closer to the truth to put our trust in extreme generosity? It might be closer to the truth, but my goodness, it is hard. And it leaves us incredibly vulnerable. It forces us to trust in something that is much more than ourselves. Jesus said, No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. If we read through this uh, well-known passage, the word slave, we can, we can substitute with the word servant or if you like, servant of the servant king. And the word, word wealth, if you've grown up with the King James Bible um, is, is interpreted in there as mammon, which can mean money or wealth, but really it's anything or anyone that becomes an object of our reliance. So no servant of the servant king can serve two masters. For a servant of the servant king will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, mammon, wealth, anything or anyone that becomes an object of our reliance. 
if you divide up all of Jesus' teaching throughout the Gospels, the single one thing that Jesus talks about the most is the kingdom of God. And the second most thing that Jesus talks about is wealth and money. Often they are linked together. Jesus talks about these topics so often you have to wonder if they are such a significant focus. Why do they not seem to be a focus on our lives? I mean, it's probably fair to say that money is the main focus for most of us. But is Jesus' understanding of money interpreted through his understanding of the kingdom of God our focus, or is it something different? In our time, in our culture, in our location and our situation, each one of us has the capacity for extreme generosity. Yet each of us, I suspect, battles daily with the tension between focusing on God and others and making sure that we're okay, we're noticed, we're safe, we're secure. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but when they become a crutch for, on which we rely, then it becomes at the expense of our focus on God and others. Jesus' kingdom can be anywhere, anytime that kingdom behaviour is exemplified. That kingdom character is lived out. That kingdom witness can be heard and observed. What is that behaviour, character and witness? Well, it's generosity. Sacrificial, unnecessary, undeserved, costly, extreme generosity. Uh, it's not surprising to me at all that uh, Leanne's colleague um, is a good Catholic boy. It's not just the sharing and generous use of our gifts and talents, though, of our money and our resources. It's actually an attitude and a culture of generosity, not self-focus. It's not confined to a building or a time or a place. It's actively lived out in and through the people of God. And that's what Pilate seems to miss. It's what the world misses. And it's what we can miss if we only think that the kingdom of God is about some future event or end times. Jesus kept saying the kingdom of God has come near. kingdom of God is never a place, rather a perspective, never an established rule, but a stated reality of how to live life, never a fought-for hierarchy, but a way of interpreting the world and embodying and an understanding in everything we do. Jesus' kingdom is a methodology for how we're called in, to live in the world today, we are to serve a servant king by bringing generosity to light. 
Yet we're socialised to imagine kingdoms as nations rather than a generous way of living and encouraging others to live. As territories rather than actual people committed to generosity. As landlocked empires rather than a persistence in seeking first God and others. In light of this understanding of who Jesus is as our king and who Jesus is calling us to be as servants of the servant king, we're confronted with the truth of our self-focused motivations, confronted with the ways that we've given in to all the kingdoms of the world over and over again. And we have to ask ourselves, have we truly sought first the kingdom of God and generosity, or have we sought first our own kingdom and our own self-focus. I know this might come as a shock to you, but as a church leader for over 12 years, on the very odd occasion, well, most days, most weeks, people come to me with some type of complaint or concern about something or somebody connected with church life. I know it's surprising, but occasionally it does happen every day of the week. No, not every day. It's not always the case, but as I've reflected, the majority of times I have to say upon reflection that this faithful person is actually being faithful to their own kingdom. And for some reason, and it's usually an incredibly valid one, they've chosen not to be able to view this situation or this person with generosity. There's an old English proverb that says, self-preservation is the first law of nature. But this is not God's law. I'm absolutely sure it's not part of the redeemed design for humanity of a gracious, generous saviour and the response of his people. Generosity does not seem to have a great return on investment. Is Jesus your king? If the answer is yes, how do you serve the servant king? How has this servant king brought generosity to life in your life recently? In your attitudes, in your finances, in your relationships, in your spiritual life, in your care and concern of those close to you, in your care and your concern for the stranger. My prayer is that we might be vulnerable enough to allow Jesus to confront us today with the gap between our truth and the truth. Let me pray. 
Loving God, uh, you do confound us with your generosity. It's a generosity that's designed uh, to sustain and hold and inspire and engage and encourage us in every aspect of life. Yet time and time again, we fall back to the trap that the world says in relying on temporal things, things that don't last, things with no substance, things that can be taken away. Help us to rest in the truth that your love never fails us. You are our saviour. You are our king. Help us to say the words, that's my king this day. Amen. Now I'm going to ask Elroy to continue in a time of prayer.